0: Listening to CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And who do we have in the studio right now?
1: Who are you? Well, today you can know me as Voluntary in Nature, A.K.A. Kevin Howes, uh, sometimes also known as Cipriano. Cipriano, welcome to the Nardwar The Human Serviette Show! Oh man, I'm so happy to be here. What a treat. Thank you for bringing all your records
0: out. I was curious, of all the records you brought out and have given me, one was actually my request and we just played that right now. What can you tell the people about my request? This is not your personal selection, it's my request.
1: Well, it was it was my personal selection on a compilation called Jamaica to Toronto. But your request was to hear the incredible Chips, Chicken, Banana Split by Jojo and the Fugitives. And this is a really special song with a vocal by none other than Wayne McGee um, cut in Toronto in the at the turn of the 70s. And this is a that's a special, special song that was only available, yes, on a vinyl record. You remember those Nardwar vinyl records? I know it's 2020 now, but vinyl records, a seven-inch vinyl record on the Cobra label that was Chips, Chicken, Banana Split by JoJo and the Fugitives.
0: And you got that at Henry's Records. What can you say about getting that record? Because that's kind of like the holy grail of Canadian funk soul. You see it so flippantly. Oh, that's from my compilation. The compilation you put out was amazing. What can you say about the compilation and also about the actual recording? It's like a holy grail, isn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. It was to me. And I have to give like so much love and respect and props to Henry Marks. Henry is the owner of Henry's Records on Shorting Street in Scarborough, Ontario. He's originally from Montego Bay and came to Canada in the nineteen sixties and got got involved in the record selling business. And he has a warehouse of vinyl out there in Scarborough. So any crate diggers or music lovers, you want to learn more about reggae, you want to learn more about soul music, you want to learn about more about pretty well any type of music. You can go to Henry's Records in Scarborough. And I started going there probably in the early 2000s and asking for Henry's advice. And and as someone who came from Jamaica and grew up with the music and and grew up living with artists like Wayne McGee and Jay Douglas and The Mighty Pope, Eddie Spencer. Um, These are some of the artists that were featured on Jamaica to Toronto. And I had been collecting these records in my travels as a DJ across Canada and, and was able to compile them all together on a compilation called Jamaica to Toronto. But as I was putting it together, I was going to Henry's and sort of seeking counsel. And, and, he, and he turned me on to that record. I didn't know about it at the time. And he said, you know, this is a good one that you might like. And we worked out a price and, and, uh, and I bought that record. And I bought another one from him on that trip as well. Uh, and then both appeared on the compilation so big shout out to Henry's Records for making helping to make Jamaica to Toronto what it was and a big thanks to Jojo Bennett of the Satellites and and of Jojo and the Fugitives who was who was really le- legendary in bringing Jamaican musics to Toronto in the 1960s um, to perform at a club called the, the Whiff Club the West Indian Federation Club and um, and this is how Wayne McGee came to Canada at the help, with the help of Jojo Bennett. All these, all these players were active in Jamaica playing music, but then in the late 60s started to come to Canada to perform and to, to make a living in a new country. And, and that's what Jamaica Toronto documents, that sort of late 60s, early 70s era of Jamaican recordings in Canada. And it was soul, funk and reggae music was the sound of the day. And that JoJo recording was recorded in Toronto? Do you know where? It was recorded in Toronto for a label, a very small label called Cobra.
0: And do you know where it was recorded? Where it was recorded? I, I don't
1: know the actual studio. Like some information like that gets lost to the sands of time. If we were able to track down JoJo... He might, he might remember because we're blessed to still have JoJo Bennett with us in the physical. Unfortunately, we lost Wayne in 2018. He passed away. So we lose we lose a lot of the great history when these artists pass on. So it's important while they're with us to ask these questions and to, to thank them, most importantly, to thank them for this music that has affected us all so deeply.
0: Are you okay, Kevin?
1: Are you okay? Because you had a pretty serious operation. Sure. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Truth be told, not trying to. You know, in full transparency mode. No. I had my gallbladder removed a few days ago in an operation, uh, emergency surgery. It's something that I had been sort of wrestling with for quite a few years and working on my diet. But eventually, um, it wasn't functioning properly and it had to go. So I guess you could say like I'm in a definitely in a time of healing right now, and and. It's also the world is in a time of healing, and the music business is also in a in a very uh in, in much need of healing, so I think it's all happening you know at a, in its right time and and once we heal, then we can move forward in a more positive way. so it's a time for for healing for myself and I'll, and also I'm trying to bring about a type of healing in the record industry, and that's what's leading me to launching uh my outlet for sharing called Voluntary in Nature, which you've heard that term before, you've heard me say it over the years on the show, and now we're getting to the point where we're actually starting to um, share some music, a music that's really touched me in a meaningful way, and then with cooperation and blessings of the artists or their families and communities, we're starting to share some music, so on, on this show today, we're, I'm really blessed and honored to, to do it here on Ardwar's show, to, to give world premieres of three songs that have never really been heard before and they'll be the first releases on voluntary in nature plus a whole bunch of other stuff from the vaults yeah definitely it's really important for me like sharing music is something it's become a part of my life and something i'm really passionate about and that's how we connected all those years ago in vancouver but we both have a love of music and, and we like to teach each other stuff. I've learned so much listening to your interview, interviews over the years. And I was so honored to start to be included on them and to be part of your radio show. And to do that with some of the artists who inspired me as well. Like going back in 2007 with some of the artists who are featured on Jamaica to Toronto. With the Mighty Pope and Earl Pablo, uh, Everton Pablo Paul and Jay Douglas. And then getting, getting on air with Willie Thrasher. Uh, who sends a big hello willie thrasher and linda and jesse um you know it's this is how we live this is these are our lives sharing music so to pick some music from my collection that i've amassed over 20 years and traveling the world it's like it's a pleasure for me it's fun far from pain but yeah i've been i've been a little bit sore i'd say but the doctors have taken care of me really well i want to give a shout out to langley memorial they were really helpful there and uh It's a good place to sneak in for emergency surgery if you ever have to while traveling. Thank you
0: so much, Cipriano, for all the tunes that you are about to play for the listeners. But right off the bat, I never realized that Cipriano, Kevin Howells, Cipriano, was an Upsetter song. I didn't realize that.
1: Well, it's a little secret. Like years ago, I had the extreme privilege to to play a show with Lee Perry, with the Upsetter himself. At Sonar Nightclub in Gastown, and I was one of the opening acts, sharing records. And, and after the concert, they had myself and, and a good friend Ryan Lee, um, and we, we were on the turntables sharing our, our collection of reggae records with the audience and making people dance. And, and uh, I had this awesome moment where I was sitting down with my friend Commandy. Neil, shout out to Neil Commandy, and we were playing the Galga video game. At the, uh, at the Sonar nightclub and I was literally in action in the game playing and I look up and Lee Perry's walking by and his eyes met with mine. I lifted them up from the video game console and I looked right into Lee Perry's eyes and we went into this dream. And in the dream, it was black and white and we were in the middle of a, a concert hall outside like a stadium, like Empire Stadium in, in BC in Vancouver, the way it used to be. It was like seeing the Beatles there, black and white imagery, and there's thousands of people everywhere, and it's me talking to Lee Perry. We went into conversation in our mind, like a psychic conversation, and I and I asked Lee Perry. He he's known as the god of you know the god of thunder as well in his earlier days and, and a son of thunder. And I said like I said Lee, what does Cip, what does Cipriano mean? And he says says it means the better enemy and he, g- he gave me the name he said Cipriano you can have this name so that if I was ever in a sound clash when I had to play against another sound system um, I would never be able to lose with that name Cipriano and because uh, it's called the better enemy and so there's in the sound system culture I always have a couple of secret weapons that I can I can you know get the enemy the, get the uh, the oppositional side with So I don't know, I I viewed it as a special moment and it was something that was pretty psychedelic and and yeah, it came from my love of Jamaican music because that's like, that was the music that I was playing in the club, uh, in the clubs of Vancouver in like the mid 1990s. It was like original Jamaican records. I have to shout out um, my good friend Tanis, whose father owned a reggae record label and store in Scarborough. And also, like Henry, I had a, but I had a record label in Scarborough called Ron Lu Records, and I was able to access some of that collection as he wasn't present in the family's life. And and records like Cipriano were all part of the equation. And that was stuff I was sharing. It all sounds like a blur now to me. I'm talking about dreams and psychedelic meetings with Lee Perry, but it really happened. Like I was so honored to play with Lee Perry. This person changed music for the world. Like, that's... That's as deep as it can get for me. Lee Perry, the upsetter, Cipriano, yeah, that's me. Live
0: on CITR, Denardwar, the, the human serviette radio show with Cipriano, Kevin Howes. Now, I was also curious going back to Vancouver, there's a picture of you in a warehouse filled with records in Vancouver. When was that? You're like wearing a mask, but it's for many years before. And I was really jealous. Like you talk, Oh, you know, I might have some influence on you exposing this stuff. No way you've been to like the coolest places ever. What was that place? What was going on there?
1: Well, that was a warehouse that actually it no longer exists. The la- I drove by it a couple of weeks ago, and it was literally had been leveled to the ground. So in my mind, Nardwar, I think, did it really ever exist? Was it there? Was it a figment of, figment of my imagination? But, if, but the way I remembered it, it was a warehouse of records and magazines and books owned by a fellow. I can say his name. It was, it's Brian McIntosh. I don't know if he ever crossed paths with Brian McIntosh. He goes way back. He was a, a drummer in Vancouver in the 60s. He played with Evan Kemp and some country artists. He also played uh, as a drummer, dare I say it, at strip clubs, at Peeler Bars back in the day. And they'd have, when they'd have bands, instead of just playing the latest hip-hop and R&B songs, they'd actually have a band playing at the, at the Peeler Bars. I'm not condoning this at all, but like that's what he did. And his name was Brian. And he, over the years, he got really addicted to garage shaling. And any time he'd go to these garage sales all over the lower mainland, and he'd he'd buy any books and records that were there. In the 70s and 80s, they were giving them away. They couldn't, you couldn't get rid of them fast enough. As CDs were coming into the mix, people were throwing out their record collections. And Brian was scooping them up. But he was doing it to the levels that he eventually filled not only his house where he lived, but a, a massive, massive warehouse to the brim. So yeah, no, that was a place that it was torn down in the last couple of years. And I don't know where the stuff went. What year did
0: you go there and what did you find and what did well, other people find and how did you know about that
1: place? It's outrageous because like I, I first heard about, it was at a different location, if you can believe that. So I first heard about it from my mentor, Ty Scammell who we've talked about and hopefully we'll talk about later on the show. Ty passed away in 2004 in Ardwar. That's a long time ago. That's 16 years ago. So when Ty was still alive, he told me about this warehouse on Commercial Street. Not Commercial Drive, Commercial Street. And he said, there's this guy with a warehouse of records and magazines, and and I've been finding all this really good stuff there, and you you should go and check it out. Oh, it was really nice of Ty. It was a secret place. You didn't have to tell me about that. So, anyways, I, I made an appointment. I called the guy. It was Brian. I said, "Um, my name's Kevin. I'm interested in buying records. I'm a serious record collector." He said, "Okay. Well, if you come, you got to spend at least a hundred bucks." And I was like, "Okay, I think I can do that." And I went, and I was I, I walked up the steps. This was on a different location. It was on Commercial Street, but it had all the same stuff, and he even had more. We walked up, and you're just your mind. You're you're like you're in, in Raiders of the Lost Ark at the end, where they got the scene when they got the Ark of the Covenant, and they're pushing, pushing the the boxes, and you're in a, this crazy warehouse. But instead, it's all filled with records. So, I would go there, and yeah, I spent I spent my hundred bucks. I probably spent a few. I got a whole bunch of music. He had music from the 50s, 60s, 70s, all styles. You name it, um, seven inches, LPs, 12 inch singles on and on. So I started going there and then I actually started bringing other friends to shop there as well. People like Mr. Supreme in Seattle, I brought him up there. And, uh, there's a, there's a funny story about that, what I can share for another time, but Brian, Brian, he was just one of these maniac. What collectors.
0: specifically did he have that you liked? Did he have?
1: Well, I was by, like, Ty is, so Ty is one of my mentors and he sort of got me in, in the path of looking for obscure Canadian records. Records that were interesting, that didn't, hit, didn't necessarily hit the charts, but, but were substantial musically. And I'm talking like music from all styles, music that was recorded in Canada. So I was finding things like that did appear on Jamaica to Toronto and that were featured on Native North America. These are some of the compilations that I put together for Light in the Attic records over the years. So I was finding like stuff like that, and I was finding things for my for my DJ sets because like back in in the early 2000s, I was an active DJ in Vancouver, playing everywhere from the Commodore to the Vancouver Art Gallery, to the Starfish Room, to the Sugar Refinery, Town Pump, you name it. I was playing. I was hauling out these old records to the clubs to make people dance and have fun. The Chameleon at the Hotel Georgia, with Commandi, and like it was awesome. So I was finding all sorts of music, jazz, funk, R&B, soul, blues, rock, psychedelic, punk rock. I know you love like they had it all there. It was just all this stuff. Like Brian would buy any record at these garage sales. He'd just pick them up for a quarter or a nickel or whatever. And then he'd sell them for, you know, whatever he was asking at the, uh, at the warehouse. And they were usually like $20 an upper record. And you had to wear a mask because of mold? Well, eventually. Yeah. Cause it's like, these warehouses, they weren't heated properly, and, and records records and magazines, they're all dusty and collect mold. And I just thought like, you know, I, I need to start wearing a mask to protect myself against all the dust and everything so I wouldn't get all sick or congested. So I started wearing a mask when I'd go record shopping and then definitely at a place like a record warehouse, you want to wear a mask just to protect your lungs. And we're speaking to Kevin Cipriano Howes, who will be bringing a whole bunch of music
0: to your ears. I have the music, and we are going to play it for you, the listeners, on CITR Radio. Just curious, one more thing about Vancouver record places. Do you remember Portland Owls at all? The record yeah. shop, Portland Owls. What happened to his collection, and did you ever go into Portland Owls? He was on Main Street, like Main and 3rd, right?
1: Yeah, Portland Owls was a store on Main and 3rd, like you said, on the west side. And uh, I think it's across from where there's Anuba right now. But Portland Owl was like a character in Vancouver. I don't know if he was a gangster or what the deal was, but he'd wear a fedora and sit in a rattan chair with a cane. And if you can find one of the original Portland Owl bags that he'd give you when you would buy a record at the store, you put it in a store bag. And his, I had a picture of him sitting on this rattan chair with a looking like a mafioso gangster. So I don't know if he had like what his deal was, but he was a badass dude. And, and he had this little store. It was like a smoke shop. They sold smokes and drinks and records. And the weird thing about Portland Al is that he would, all of his records, he would put these like sparkly tape, tape around the edges of the records and write his name, his initials on the cover. P.A.C. Portland Al Cannon, that was his name. And he'd mark it on all the records in a way, it sort of like devalues the records cause it's got all these fucking markers on them and all this glittery sticker, which like for him, it was maybe cool for his collection, but in like for a collector, we want like brand new, like never played records. So it's funny cause like when you travel around, like I started looking around Vancouver for records, and eventually, you sort of get the bug, and you start going to other cities and looking for records. I go down to Seattle and try all the record stores there. Eventually, shit, man, I was going to London, England, and Japan, also San Francisco, LA, you name it, New York. But one time, I was in San Francisco, and I'm looking, flipping through the bins at uh, the Groove Merchant. Shout out to Cool Chris at the Groove Merchant. And and I, lo and behold, I come across a Portland Owl record. I see the PAC. I'm like, oh, shit. Uh, Portland Owl, you can recognize them anywhere in the world. If some of his records made them to Egypt and you were looking at a record store in a pyramid and you, and you, you would come across it, you would know where it came from because you saw the PAC and now the listeners know. If you ever see a record with PAC in the top right corner, then you know where it came from. Main and 3rd in Vancouver, Portland Owl's record shop.
0: He was specializing in R&B and blues. Do you remember what records you got at his store, some of them at least?
1: uh i think i got a junior parker record there um i think i even got a local vancouver record called Jason by the the artist by the name of jason hoover who i don't know you may have had on your show even he's Jason Hoover and the Epics, yes, yeah, incredible R and B trailblazer in Vancouver. I know David. Loves- I think David is doing a movie about him. Yeah, David, David Love Loves- at Vinyl Records is making a documentary about him. Hopefully, wishing wishing him well on that project. Hopefully, he can come out soon, that we can the world can learn more about Jason Hoover. He's an awesome R and B artist um, that was coming out of Vancouver in the sixties. Cipriano, you mentioned
0: the Lightning Attic releases that you've had a hand in. Was your Lightning Attic release, the Native North American, the only nominated Grammy release from Lightning Attic? Have they had other releases nominated for Grammys?
1: You know, to my knowledge, they had one one prior. And it, maybe more, but no, I think it was just one prior to Native North America. And that was also in the same category. That's the historical recording category. And it was for their Lee Hazelwood box set. So that's well deserving of a historical nomination. They did a beautiful job making a collection of the, of the late Lee Hazelwood, who was known for his work with Nancy Sinatra and his own solo work. He one he of the best of all time, Lee Hazelwood.
0: Speaking of accomplishments from Vancouver, you nominated for a Grammy. I still think that's totally amazing for a Native North American and worthwhile. It's amazing they picked you. I guess you lost, but again, you lost to a very worthwhile person, didn't you?
1: Well, we lost to, and you know, there's no music and competition. These things are sort of, you know, pretty problematic. It was an honor to be nominated. Also, another person from based out of Vancouver was nominated, was my engineer who's been working on all the voluntary and nature releases, uh, Greg Mindorf, a.k.a. the stuntman at Sweet Sound Labs, who you know uh, the mastering studio. So the historical recording category uh, honors the producer, who was myself in the case of Native North America, and also the engineer. So that's uh, Greg Mindorf, who did all the analog digital transfers, who did the audio restoration and making sure everything sounded as good as it could with for these vintage recordings. And we lost to Bob Dylan and the band. So no, no, uh, nothing to laugh at there. Uh, I think I heard Bob Dylan, he's pretty good. And the band, they're okay. Yeah, so you know, it it was a shame. I, I I told that to elder Dr. Duke Redbird, who Duke is one of the artists featured on Native North America. And he was just happy that another indigenous person had won the award. And that being Robbie Robertson from the band who was, you know, has heritage at Six Nations. So that was that was Duke's take on it all. We were just all happy. We realized that the victory truly was just being nominated. And and to have those special recordings by those trailblazing indigenous performers and singer-songwriters recognized around the world for what they were, incredible songs. And that was my goal in putting together that compilation to have them heard by more people and to give thanks. So it was an honor for everyone involved and we're all very proud that that, that project reached those heights, those commercial heights. And, and most importantly, it got into the hearts and souls and minds of the listeners of native and non-native backgrounds around the world. Was, what an honor to be associated with that project. It's it's such a treat, and there's there's more ahead. Nas sampled Wayne McGee.
0: We have well, him coming up. What can you say about Nas sampling Wayne McGee?
1: It's no surprise, you know? Like, when you hear a record like Wayne McGee on The Sounds of Joy, which is the record that uh, Nas or one of his producers sampled, it's like, it's a no-brainer. Uh, the drum, The drums on that record are filthy, they're hard, they're tough. They were played by... Everton, Everton Pablo Paul, who's still drumming in Toronto. Uh, shout out to Everton uh, Pablo Paul, and I hope he's doing well. He played the drums on Wayne McGee's record. Now it was sampled on a Nas record, and I hope that in the future that, uh, you know, monies can be gotten for Wayne's family on that, because saying we, we lost Wayne in 2018. I first met Wayne McGee in 2003, 2004, in putting together uh, the first authorized legal reissue of Wayne McGee and the Sounds of Joy with Light in the Attic Records. That was the first project that I worked on with them. And it was such an honor to meet Wayne. I've told that story before on the radio. You can go back into the archives at the Nardwar show and listen to stories about meeting Wayne McGee for the first time. And he had gone missing and he, he had he had fallen on ill health in the early 80s and was living on the streets and was was taken under the care of his his Angelic sister, Merlene, and, and the extended family as well. And, and Wayne went missing. Nobody in the Caribbean community the Jamaican community in Toronto knew where Wayne was. And when we were trying to do his, to put out his record again, we had to ask him for his permission and to thank him. You know, this is, this isn't a bootleg operation. So uh, we, f- we eventually found Wayne with the help of Jay Douglas, who you, Nardwar, interviewed at, at UBC, at CITR when the Jamaica to Toronto Review played the Vancouver Folk Fest all those years ago in 2007. And Jay actually helped to find Wayne and found his sister and put us all together. And we flew out to meet Wayne. And it was a beautiful experience being able to thank Wayne. And, and it was incredible. I had brought with me like a box of 45s and we listened to them and and me and Jay and Matt Sullivan from Light in the Attic and the family. and. We all sat around the table listening to all these old 45s on a little portable turntable that I brought that I had purchased in Japan. And we listened and we're all crying our heads off. And uh, it was so emotional hearing these songs after all these years. And eventually we learned that um, Wayne had an unreleased album. He brought out, Wayne brought out these, this big box of master tapes and including these, these two big reels, these larger reels, they were two inch in width these two-inch multi-track masters of an unreleased album. And, and over the years, Wayne gave me a permission and his family gave me permission to share these recordings. And this is an unreleased album by Wayne McGee, recorded in 1976. And this is the first record that I'm releasing on Voluntary in Nature, my outlet for sharing in collaboration with artists. So um, we're gonna be hearing a song called What Am I To Do? Now, this is the first time, Nardwar, you know, I'm getting goosebumps just saying this. Uh, I'm really serious here. This is the first time that these re- this recording has been heard outside of the studio since 1976. Um, myself and, and some of the people at Light in the Attic have heard it, um, but saying with permission of the family and in collaboration with the family and blessing of Wayne McGee, well, we're going to be sharing this and there'll be a vinyl pressing in the next few months. But this is the, this is the world premiere of What Am I To Do by Wayne McGee, taken from the album entitled Wayne 76. The, the goal is to try to get funds to Wayne's family and to share this awesome album, saying it's, this, is, this is an unreleased album recorded at Thunder Sound in Toronto in 1976. And this is the world premiere of What Am I To Do? by Wayne McGee. What am I to do
0: on an Ardwar to Human Serviette radio show with special guest DJ
1: Cipriano. Peace.
2: city. My will
3: And let us start love on you darling baby
0: You're still listening to the Nardwar, the human serviette radio show with special guest DJ. Voluntary in nature. Cipriano, Kevin Howes. And Kevin, what did we just hear right there? Halfway up the stairs by Delroy Wilson.
1: Yeah, right on. That's what we heard. Yeah. Halfway up the stairs by Delroy Wilson. That was a seven inch record from my collection, on the Dixieland Records label. I don't know where that name came from, but it's on the Dixieland Records label. And and that song's really notable for for a few reasons, other than the incredible performance by Delroy and his band. This is a cover song, an uncredited cover song by another artist that I've had the privilege to work with over the years, is Sisto Rodriguez from Detroit. That's a cover from the second Rodriguez album coming from reality. It's it's incredible for some for some interesting reason. That's a record that if you know the story of Rodriguez, his two albums, Cold Fact and Coming from Reality, they were released in the U.S. in the early '70s, and they didn't sell anything. Uh, later. Uh, he became uh, an artist who was bootlegged in South Africa and developed this, you know, huge following in South Africa. There's an ac- Academy Award-winning documentary about it called Searching for Sugar Man. You can learn about the story of Rodriguez, but by now most people know about that story. One thing they didn't mention in the documentary is that for a record that didn't sell it, it, in, in the U.S. at the time of release, around the time of release, it made it down to Jamaica, of all places. And the Jamaicans must have loved it in the recording business because there's a couple different Rodriguez covers from his second album. And this was one of them. Uh, It's incredible. There's another one out there. And they're both, they're all uncredited. They they don't mention Rodriguez on the records. It just says the artist and the label and the name of the song. The other one is by the legendary Ken Booth um, of Everything I Own fame. And he does Rodriguez's Silver Words. And that's another beautiful, that's on the Observer label. Um, that's totally incredible that they covered him. I know, like, there are yeah. a couple bands
0: that have covered, like, the Sonics in the 60s. The Swamp Rats covered Psycho by the Sonics, which is kind of really crazy. However, the Swamp Rats were from Pittsburgh. And actually, I think the Sonics had one hit in pittsburgh with psycho but it is sort of bizarre but
1: rodriguez had zero hits in jamaica didn't he i don't know that record must have hit somehow maybe there was a maybe there was a progressive dj who was playing that album on the radio and some of these these incredible producers and artists heard it and wanted to cover it it's i don't know how it happened i don't believe to my knowledge that rodriguez ever went to jamaica but it would be a great question if you ever get to Interview Rodriguez again if you didn't in the future. Ask him about this Jamaican connection. He might want to know about the royalties, though, because uh, you know I don't know how many records these sold, but it's another uh, another example of where uh, the artists might not be receiving funds for the music that they recorded. So I know that's uh, that's been a problem in Jamaican music history and 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 music around this. It's no example in Jamaica around the world, uh, artists haven't been receiving proper payment for their recordings. And that's something I'm trying to rectify with voluntary in nature. If I can, that's the goal of it. We're trying to heal the music business. Like I'm trying to heal my, my, uh, my missing (laughs) gallbladder, but the, uh, no, it's incredible. I love that. I love that Rodriguez music made it to Jamaica and they made these incredible covers. So that was halfway up the stairs. And before that we heard. I was going to ask you
0: about halfway up the stairs though.
1: Sure. By Delroy
0: Wilson. That's, very um well i should say he did an insane amount of records like he has put out an insane amount of records going back to like 1962 ska like it's it's incredible the amount that he churned out delroy wilson is really really established isn't he
1: well delroy wilson is a legend of jamaican music history and and i have to say shout out just because it's so fresh i have to say a big rest in peace to toots hibbert uh, of Toots and the Maytals who just passed away, another legend of Jamaican music. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if Delroy is still alive, if he's still with us, but as the years go by, we keep losing these incredible trailblazers that were, yes, they were. They, they changed the world with their music from that transition from, from traditional mento to ska to rocksteady to reggae music, which is what we hear halfway up the stairs. That's probably from around 1974, 73 and these artists changed the world and and they need more recognition around the world they're they're beloved in Jamaica they're 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 hailed as the heroes that they are and 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 we want to just keep honoring them as much as we can so thanks for letting me Share the Delroy Wilson today. Big ups, Delroy and his family, and big ups to Jamaica, and big ups to Toots Hibbert. You love ska. You actually saw the ska-voovy tour. What was that
0: like, seeing the ska-voovy tour? Like Uh, the selectors, the ska-lights. What was that tour? It
1: was 93, Rankin-Roger? Yes, 1993, the ska-voovy tour hit Vancouver at the Commodore Ballroom. And I'd like to say that was pre-renovation Commodore Ballroom, when the floor would... Which had tires underneath it and horsehair would literally bounce you a foot off the ground if you were you were bumped in the right way and you would literally fly off the ground. It was a great springy floor to dance on, and this Scavuvi tour, which went went around North America, I believe, uh, I know it hit California, it hit L.A., New York, and it was a tour comprised of the Special Beat, which which had members of the Specials and the and the English Beat, Ranking Roger, Neville Staple. I uh, had John Bradbury on drums from the specials, rest in peace to JB. Uh, it was an incredible tour. It also had the selector fronted by Pauline Black and Gaps Hendrickson. It had the toasters from New York City. And probably most importantly, it had the Scatolites, the founders of ska music from Jamaica. So before the concert, I was I went early to hang out. I was pretty young then. I probably was 19 or 20. And, and I was a young drummer myself. I played music and I was taking drum lessons. And I was really inspired by ska music and, and the drummer of the Skylights, Lloyd Nib. And when I was walking on Granville Street a few hours before the concert, I actually recognized Lloyd, Lloyd on the street. And I walked up to him and said, Lloyd, I just want to thank you for your music. I'm a huge fan of the Scatlights. And he's, he was like, oh, it's no problem, man. He's like, thank you very much for listening. I said, I told him that I, I know, I said, Lloyd, like I know a Jamaican restaurant around the corner. Would you like to go and get some food? Are you hungry? Because I know he's on the road. Maybe he wanted a home cooked meal. And he didn't know about the restaurant. So we took a walk and me and the drummer of the Skylights who invented the ska beat, the two of us we went to uh, what was on Nelson Street. It was called PG's restaurant. It was like the best Jamaican restaurant in Vancouver. They made handmade beef patties and and oxtail soup and and all all the beautiful Jamaican dishes that we love and uh, I sat down with Lloyd and and he bought me dinner and he actually uh, a little secret he was actually also trying to get me to score him some marijuana but I was pretty I was pretty young in the in the in those days and I wasn't it wasn't the times that we're in now where marijuana is legal so I actually wasn't able to help him with that request, but, but I was able to take him to a Jamaican restaurant, and we started eating our food, and, and I'm asking him questions about the skies, and he's, he's so cool, man. Lloyd Nibb, he's passed on as well now, but maybe within like 10 minutes or so, the door opens of the front of PG's restaurant, and who is it but the late, great Tommy McCook and, and Roland Alfonso and, you know, Lloyd Brevitt, these are, these are the Scatolites, and they'd all found the restaurant on their own. Or maybe someone at the Commodore told them to go around to the Jamaican restaurant if they wanted a nice meal. So uh, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm eating with uh, all the Scatolites, and we're eating dinner. And, and later, you know, we, we said goodbye. They actually bought me my dinner. It was like, it was such an honor to meet my heroes. And, and we, we went up. The, later, we went to the Commodore. I was there by myself but I had met my friend James Bell, Lockjaw, the late James Bell who, who was on your show years ago with Jim Rose and, and there, was, there was all sorts of mods and there was black people and white people and there was mods and rockers and skinheads and everyone was dancing. We were all wearing suits dressed like in emulation of our heroes, our Rude Boy heroes from the 60s and we skanked all night long. That was one of the best, I still have the poster from that evening that was one of the best nights of music I've ever heard in my life. All those incredible artists on one stage in Vancouver at the Commodore. Can you believe it? Oh, Scavuvi.
0: And you are Kevin Howes, Cipriano, live on Denard Denardwar, the human serviette radio show,
1: playing a whole bunch of world exclusives of your new label, Voluntary in Nature. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Now,
0: we also heard, we heard Halfway Up the Stairs by Delroy Wilson. We also heard, and sorry to interrupt you a long time ago, but you're about to say, we also heard Capital City by Brian Anthony.
1: Yeah, that's a big, big tune. And sorry for, yeah, getting too excited there earlier. It's so hard when you're sharing music. That's a killer song. It's on the Unigage label, and it's a 12-inch single. So that's the only song we heard the whole side there. I just feel like in these challenging times, this song um, provides an uplifting message to the people. It, if you listen to the song, um, Brian singing "Rebuilding Capital City," and and that's we're in this time where we do need to rebuild our capital cities. Uh, we're seeing what's going on in the U.S with Black Lives Matter, and in Canada with indigenous rights and sovereignty, and, and all these old colonial models that have existed, it's time to rebuild them in a more fair and equitable way that, where everyone has an equal playing field and we're all sharing the benefits of our, our, our wealth and resources at, while, while respecting the land, the nature, um, so I, I wanted to play that song as as a symbol of hope for what we can. We have to reimagine. We have to rebuild right now, and this is a time of of healing and repairing the ills of the past.
0: And Brian Anthony was from Toronto. It's a Canadian record from 1980,
1: right? It was recorded in in Canada, I believe. It's a bit. I'm still trying to learn more about 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 it. I'm good. I'm good friends with Lloyd Del Pratt. He was a keyboard player from Studio One that played with Bob Marley in his early years and worked with Brian. And, and he's trying to put us together right now because uh, I'd like to learn more about this recording. It's one of these things that I found in my travels, fell in love with the music and wanted to, to, to learn more about it. So the best way to do that is to go to the artists directly and ask them and, and, and we get to thank them for the music. So on, on the next time I, I'm on the show, if I'm ever so lucky, and I can tell tell you a little bit more about that song, but it's Capital City by Brian Anthony, and that's Brian Atkinson, who was the legendary bass player from Studio One in the 60s and early 70s, part of the Soul Brothers group, along with Jackie Mattoo of the Scatolites.
0: It has a real two-tone feel to it. Like, it has turned up, I've seen, on some two-tone records for sale lists.
1: Wow, it's really uplifting. I think it's a great song. If, if I played that in my DJ set... I'd want to, I'd step aside from the turntables and hit the dance floor to dance on that one because it's, it, it's a real, it's a song that hits you right in your heart. Cipriano, Kevin Howes, I was also curious,
0: Eglinton Street, Black Uhuru, what is the connection?
1: Youth of Eglinton, 1981. Yeah, that's a song written about about the Jamaican community in Toronto and some of the the bad boy business that was running around in those days, Youth of Eglinton. I think it's a, it's a song sort of touching base on Little Jamaica and 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 this is a, for people who have never been to Toronto. When you go to Toronto, you wanna to support the community um, by going to the restaurants and, and vendors in Little Jamaica on Eglinton Street. They have Reggae Lane there. And it's an area that's been recently facing a lot of very serious challenges because of urban urban development. That that is is uh, encroaching on the Caribbean community, the Jamaican community, and they're having a really hard time there because a lot of the businesses have been forced to shut down um, because of redevelopment and and some of the transit operations they've been going there. So um, it, it's it's such a shame. Uh, they, there's initiatives I saw on Twitter a Twitter a few weeks ago. Um, a cadence weapon he's a a rapper i think born in edmonton and he was writing some tweets about the history of little jamaica and supporting little jamaica and in defense of little jamaica and he cited the compilation jamaica to toronto for people to learn more about the the jamaican and the caribbean history in toronto that it is extremely important and it should be preserved it should be celebrated and it, it it should be you know, known and, and uh, there's, there's a very vital community there that, that probably goes back to the 60s or maybe more the 70s, um, the Jamaican community really um, was thriving there. Uh, we knew of uh, Wisdom's Barbershop is a place that I, that I became acquainted with through doing the Jamaica to Toronto compilation. Jimmy Wisdom passed away last year He's the owner of Wisdom's Barbershop, which is a landmark Caribbean Black-owned business. And I was trying to get the CBC to do an obituary about Jimmy Wisdom, and, and it was like pulling teeth. We're not celebrating these very important communities in Canada, and it, and it's such a shame. Uh, we have to we have to you know you know share stories about these communities let people know one great way we can celebrate is through music and supporting businesses. There's incredible black owned businesses on Eglinton that you can go and learn more about Caribbean culture and Jamaican culture and eat the food and, and talk to people. And, and through that connection, we can, we can eliminate racism and move beyond a lot of the, the the troubles that people are facing today. So big ups to little Jamaica and, and long may you live and thrive. Big ups to, the Youth of Eglinton, the song by Black Uhuru from 1981 that sort of documented that Caribbean-Jamaican connection in Toronto. We know that that Eglinton is the spot in those days. It had all the record shops, the reggae record shops. It had Monica's, Joe Gibbs records. Um, uh, there, there is more there. You know, this is, this is a huge, important part of, of Jamaican history in Canada. Is, is the Caribbean community, the Jamaican community on Eglinton, and these old record stores. This is how the birth of Canadian reggae was happening. Uh, it, it's an incredible, incredible history there. You can learn about it in some of the liner notes that I've written when I've been able to speak and, and, and uh, hear stories and share stories by the likes of Noel Ellis who I know who's working at Joe Gibbs records back on Eglinton. There's an incredible history and it's important for it to, for it to come from the community themselves. So I'm excited to hear more about it. And if I can help facilitate or share any stories, I'm always open to do that.
0: People right now, Cipriano can actually go to YouTube and check out that movie, the summer sound. What's that? The summer oh. sound.
1: Yeah, that's an incredible, it's a, it's a half an hour documentary. Originally uh, created by Summer Records owner Jerry and producer Jerry Brown. Big ups to Jerry and the Summer Records family. That was over in Malton, Ontario. And Summer Records Anthology was one of the titles in the six album Jamaica Toronto series that Light in the Attic released. And if you want these titles uh, back in print as much as I do, including the, the namesake Jamaica to Toronto title, please email, I beg you to please email and message Light in the Attic Records to get it through their heads that it's really important to have these records available um, for people and the youth to, to learn from. I got a great uh, phone call from a Malton uh, school not too long ago where they're going to start like sharing Jerry Brown's story in the community where he had his reggae label in the 70s and 80s. Um, they're going to be teaching it in the schools. And that's only possible because of Jerry's efforts and, and in, help, in part it's, it's because of the awareness we were able to provide with the Summer Records Anthology. So when we're able to document and share these stories and Jerry, Jerry did that with a film called Summer, Summer Sound in Canada, where he had a camera crew documenting his, his musical migration from Jamaica to Toronto and Malton, Ontario, outside of Toronto where he had a a reggae recording studio and it's one of the first black owned recording studios in Canada, along with Half Moon, Oswald Curry's Half Moon and Jerry and Oswald were partners at one point and they went on to their own labels, but Jerry made this incredible movie and I hope to edit it because it was never edited. It was just raw footage. And my friend Garth and I edited the film and it was released as summer sound in Canada uh, as part of the, summer records anthology as part of the Jamaica to Toronto series and it was actually screened in Jamaica at a film festival with Jerry Brown and Noel Ellis who is also the son of Alton Ellis who is also in the film and and they were in attendance in Jamaica and and they played the film and people loved it so people, it, it's it's a it's on YouTube in three parts and I highly recommend anyone with an interest in Jamaican music Jamaican Canadian music Canadian music any of these things, reggae music, Jackie Mattoo's in the film, Willie Williams of Armageddon Times in the film, uh, Adrian Miller, shout outs to Homer Miller, he's, he's in the film, Earth, Roots and Water, all these incredible trailblazers are in this Summer Sound in Canada film, and it's, it's, it's free, available to watch on YouTube, and you can learn more about this incredible history, right from the artists, right from the community itself. Kevin
0: Howes, Cipriano, you're here on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show to debut some world premiere of some records that you're releasing, including the Wayne McGee thing, which you heard right at the top. But before I ask you some more about the Wayne McGee, I was going to say new ska bands in Toronto. Are there any new ska bands in Toronto? Like the kids that the people in the Summer Sound. Are there new ska bands?
1: Well, I know that, I know that uh, Adrian Miller is still active in music, and, uh, but I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, check out Adrian Miller's music. But I'm not sure if there's young ska bands in Toronto. I'd lo- I hope there is. I, I hope that that's a, a beautiful music that can be carried on and when concerts can be played again. Because ska music is, the, like we talked about earlier, ska music is one that you, I'm saying ska music and I can see you bobbing your head you're like it's a music we move to it we dance to it it's a celebration it's a party and it makes us think too uh, because there's often political messages conveyed in ska music as there was in the two-tone era especially and in the Jamaican days as well singing about Indo- Jamaican independence and all these beautiful things from the ska era so but no, I, I'd like to I, maybe I'll maybe we'll have to start a ska band in Toronto one day or or uh, We'll see. I, I would encourage it. I would support it. I would, I would love to go to a ska music concert in Toronto and dance away, skank away the night with my friends. Cipriano, you're living in Toronto now. Where do you go? What record stores do you go to?
0: Where'd you get that Malcolm X record or T-shirt or whatever?
1: Well, like right now I'm living in... in, I'm in or is this
0: secret? Is this secret?
1: No, I, for the last year, I've actually been living in Stratford, Ontario. So big, up, big ups to Stratford, and uh, that's the home of the Perth County Conspiracy and, and other incredible artists from the 60s, the folk coffeehouse days. But I'd been living in Stratford for the year, and when the pandemic hit, I decided that I, I wanted to, I needed to move on and uh, to work on my label. So I put everything into storage. So I have all my, all my records and my record collection is in storage in an undisclosed location. Uh, will be, I will not be sure where that is. Um, but I, I'm sort of in transit right now. I spent the summer in Vancouver. And then I'm in Langley right now at my aunt's house, sort of recovering from my, my emergency operation. And I'll be going back to Toronto in the next month or so and figuring out where, where I can best serve. So that may be Toronto, that may be Vancouver. It could be the moon. We'll have to see. Um, but uh, Toronto is a great place. If if you're record shopping in Toronto, you definitely want to go to Cops Records, K O P S. If you're in Scarborough, we already mentioned Henry's Records. You want to go to Henry's Records. I also like um, Pandemonium Records on Dundas. Uh, Toronto has great record stores, but Cops and Pandemonium are probably my two go-tos. If you have if you have a big wallet. And you want to buy really rare high-end records? You can go to Cosmos Records. Go visit Aki Abe at Cosmos Records. Um, you can go to um, uh, the thrift stores. You can buy records for two dollars at Value Village or Salvation Army. I recommend that's a great way to start because you won't have to spend an arm and a leg. Records, records, in a way, they've become really expensive. So, it's it's. I'm glad that I was able to start collecting when I did, and I feel bad that that records have become more of an elitist thing and that in the future, like the young kids, they won't be able to afford to buy records anymore. So we're trying to find ways to move around all this somehow while getting the artists paid. It's so confusing. And if you go to Calgary, you can check out Recordland, right? Is that still there? Recordland? Yeah. Recordland. What a beautiful store that is. Shout out to the fine folks at Recordland in Calgary. Yep. I, I know I've traveled across Canada looking for records, so in most cities I can tell you if you're in Halifax, you want to go to Taz Records, if you're in Montreal, you want to go to Traton Tour, or you want to go to Beatnik, if you're in if you're in Saskatoon, um, I think it's still there, but they have a change of ownership. You want to go to Vinyl Diner, if you're in, you know, if you're in Victoria, you want to go to the turntable. You want to go to Ditch Records. Every city has a few. What about Winnipeg? Winnipeg, you want to go to Into the Music. Um, That's a great store there. But there's lots of stores in Winnipeg. That's the one that springs to mind. That's the one I like to go to the most. Greg is the owner at, at Into the Music. You get to know all these fine people over the years. In Vancouver, we know we I already mentioned vinyl records. There's Beat Street. We have Neptune Records. We have Zulu Records. Uh, we have Red Cat Records. Uh, you don't want to leave anyone out because Dandelion, Dandelion, yeah, Dandelion. Yes, Jeff and Laura at Dandelion Records I want to say hi to them. So, and if we head to Edmonton, there's Free Cloud. Yeah, there's Free Cloud Records. I got a little chip on my shoulder about Free Cloud because Richard's always trying to. He won't let me at the good stuff there, but 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 yeah, you can go to Free Cloud Records in Edmonton there's all sorts of there's all sorts of record stores everywhere and we got to support them right now it's a challenging time they're in need of our support but I think most importantly like where my head's at right now is really um, as an artist speaking as well like my, my mind is with the artists first and foremost so I think society is going to be changing a lot in the next 10 years and and it's 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 going to, the record stores are going to face a real uphill battle. And these have been really important places in my upbringing. And they've been, the, the record store is its, is, is its best when it's a community hub, when it's a place when people of all different backgrounds and orientations can come together to explore music, to listen to music, to preview music, just to come together and ask questions and make friends and share jokes. And, and these are the record stores that, you know, with social distance measures right now, and wearing our masks, these are the stores that are going to survive and thrive, and and it, but I, I hate to I hate to see things are going to shift like we can't deny the things that are happening and and stores are going out of business left right and center right now because of the economic reality of the pandemic, and I know this is an uplifting show and we talk about positivity but it's also a tough time so we need to support the stores but always first and foremost support the artists who made the music. Do that however we can.
0: Kevin Howes, Cipriano, going way, way back, we played the world premiere of Wayne McGee. What am I to do? Which you had the actual masters from. I
1: was thinking that is kind of a little what's going on-ish, isn't it? Yeah, what am I to do was recorded in 1976. And we know that Wayne is one of the finest guitarists and singer songwriters. He wrote original music, but like every artist was inspired by the sounds of the day. And I know growing up in Jamaica in the sixties that Wayne was really inspired by artists like Marvin Gaye and Sam Cooke and uh, you name it, you know, Curtis Mayfield, The Impressions, um, Sam and Dave, all the great soul artists. So that that would be you could hear that in Wayne's music, that influence. But Wayne really has his own groove going on. And when you hear the whole album, it's entitled Wayne 76. And it's the first record that will be released on Voluntary in Nature. You'll get to hear a lot of different textures. That was a real sweet soul type of song. But there we have reggae and there's even some country music on that album that's just beautiful. Wayne is such a with such a unique voice and we miss him dearly.
0: He actually had an LP on Birchmount.
1: Yeah, that was the that was the first record that I was ever involved in reissuing. Uh, was the Wayne McGee and the Sounds of Joy, and we and we helped to share that on Light in the Attic Records in two thousand and four. And that was released originally uh, on Birchmount. Yeah, it was a, a budget label uh, out of Toronto. Was it hard getting a hold of Birchmount? Yeah, it was very hard because it was it was no longer. Uh, a label and it, it had fallen extinct. And we had talked to people that were involved with the label and family, different family members and Light and the Attic secured the rights to release the album. And, and most importantly, had the full blessing and support of Wayne and his family. And yeah, that was a really special thing. So when, when I had like, just knowing that history, that was the record that started my, my professional music career working in the business of music. So, to be able to release Wayne's unreleased album as the first record Vin 001 on, on my label, like to give back to Wayne and his family and his community and to thank him for starting me in the business of music. Like I couldn't think of a more beautiful release to start voluntary in nature with. So big ups to my old friend Wayne, who's hope he's resting well, jamming away with Marvin Gaye and Curtis and all the greats up in Soul Heaven.
0: We also mentioned Noel Ellis, who was sampled by Kanye West for all day. And I hope someday to give Kanye that record. What can you say about Noel Ellis and the Kanye sample? Noel Ellis, Canadian.
1: Yeah, that was a great, that was a great treat, you know. And I know that Noel, he was born and raised in Jamaica. And he was the son of the late Alton Ellis, who was one of the finest Jamaican singers of all time and and Noel in the 70s came to Canada to live his father brought him to Canada so he could go to school here and he connected with the Jerry Brown who I mentioned earlier from Summer Records and they and they worked on an album together and it was released in the early 80s under the name Noel Ellis and it had a whole bunch of killer songs on it it was released on the Summer Records label i think in 1984 and and it was sampled yes, by the producers of Kanye West to make the song All Day. And that was a song that featured Rihanna and Paul McCartney as well, I believe. So it was incredible because because of that sample, uh, Noel Ellis and Jerry Brown received some compensation for their work uh, and probably made more money off of that than they ever made on, on that original album to begin with. So that was such a beautiful thing. And I hope Kanye West is, you know, I hope he's he's also a lover of that album. I don't know how involved he was in the production, but the per- person who made the beat for his record definitely sampled uh, the Noel Ellis record. So that was awesome. So it's amazing when you start sharing music or when you make music, most importantly, you never know where it's going to go. So when Noel was making that record in Malton in this basement studio of a home studio in Malton, Ontario in the early 80s, Did he know that they would be playing the Kanye West song that sampled it at Glastonbury to thousands, thousands of people, you know, in the 2000s? I bet you in his wildest dreams, he couldn't have even told you that. So that's the beauty and power of music, how it goes and reaches around the world and inspires people and influences people and brings people together.
0: Did he actually sample the CD that you put out, the reissue? When did he do the sampling?
1: Well, I would imagine that he sampled the the reissue because that was available. The original record doesn 't really exist unless the producer was like a crate digger on par with the likes of Cipriano and Mr. Supreme and cool Chris, <laughs> which I highly doubt um, that's that was a little braggadocio the Cipriano still has a little braggadocio in him. Yeah, uh, no, I, he might have sampled the original record, he might have sampled the reissue, but I, I would say that the reissue definitely helped to raise awareness about that incredible record. And we give thanks to Noel and Jerry Brown and the producers because that's really what it's all about, the music. So it's, uh, you never really know, you know, unless I was in the studio, but that the MP3s were, in the, were all over the internet. I'm sure the producer didn't even have a vinyl record he probably just, he probably just sample it right off of the internet, you know, maybe off YouTube. Producers sample right off YouTube today. Anything is possible.
0: But what's amazing, Cipriano, Kevin Howe, is he possibly sampled the record that you reissued. If you didn't reissue that record, if you didn't decide to reissue that record and Lightning Attic didn't decide to reissue the record, he wouldn't have sampled it. So you're responsible for that song with Paul McCartney.
1: Yeah, it's incredible to, like, I grew up in a Beatle-loving household. No, I've been involved in, I've been involved in music for many years, and when you're involved in music for many years, all sorts of incredible coincidences happen, whether it's intended or not. It's all these beautiful things happened. I, I know you've been sampled on, you've been sampled. I've, I've, I used to sell records to hip-hop producers back in the day, like to Jake One and Mr. Supreme and DJ Shershot. Like, I would sell these producers old vinyl records and they would take the records and sample them and make hip hop records out of them. That was part of what I did when in my younger years and I, I'm still active in sharing music. So it's no surprise. It's been part of my life doing that. And, uh, and I guess, yeah, well, one of them hit the big time. You know, I, I sold a record to Jake One one time that was sampled as the theme song for the WWE wrestler John Cena. And, and apparently Jake never cleared the sample and he got, he got, there was a lawsuit um, by the original music maker on there. So I'm happy that in the case of Noel Ellis, that they cleared the rights properly and that Noel and Jerry received some funds um, from Kanye's people. That, that's, that's really what's important um, in this whole sample base thing. Like, I, that's how I got into a lot of these old records is listening to the hip hop music and falling in love with the samples and learning about, wow you know, Public Enemies sampling James Brown. Well, I better go and listen to these most obscure James Brown records that they're sampling. And you know, that was the beauty of hip hop for me, along with the rhymes and the messages and the truths that were being spoken about the black communities and the black experience and black excellence was that the beats were taking samples from music of all different styles. And I was finding that was a cool tool for me to learn about old music. And that really informed my practice and still does today.
0: Cipriano, Kevin Howes, we're going to have to make this a two-parter. Yes, this interview, listeners, is going to be a two-part interview. You heard a world premiere of What Am I To Do by Wayne McGee as released by? Voluntary in Nature. And that was part one. What are we going to hear in part two of this conversation to have this realized is going to have to have a part two?
1: It's always nice to keep a little mystery in music, but what we're going to be hearing in part two are the second and third releases, tastes of the second and third releases on Voluntary in Nature. The second is Willie Thrasher's Indian Inuit country album, which was released as a cassette-only release on the small Sunshine Records label out of Winnipeg in the early 80s, his follow-up to Spirit Child. We'll be drawing a song from that, as well as an extremely rare recording, a demo album by a group called Cat's Eye. And that's the third record that will be released on Voluntary in Nature. So we'll be hearing some some stuff from those groups and artists and all the other fun stuff that we'll throw in the mix too. And we're going to end the show today with some Noel Ellis. We've talked a little bit
0: about Noel Ellis. What can you say about this song we're going to hear right now? I guess you've already said about Dance With Me, the background, but we're going to hear some real Noel Ellis, aren't we?
1: Yeah, live and direct, we're going to be hearing Noel Ellis uh, with the Summer Records house band, uh, Jerry Brown and Family. And this is the song that was sampled to great effect by Kanye West on the song All Day. And it's, it'll be great to hear Noel, how he did it back in the early 80s. And I should just say as well, for Voluntary in Nature, for news about the upcoming releases and the physical formats, and also the online listening, the Spotify, the YouTube, you can go to my Instagram to hear the latest news on this. And it's my Instagram name is Voluntary in Nature. And if you're on Facebook, you can go to my personal account. It's Kevin James Howes, H-O-W-E-S, to find out the latest about when these albums are going to drop in their entirety. And thanks again, Nardwar, for giving the world the universal premieres of these songs on your show. It's an honor to be back.
0: Well, thank you, Kevin, for being on Nardwar to Human Survey at Radio Show Part 1, especially after the operation that you had just a couple days ago. Usually people are put out for weeks and weeks,
1: and you are like right back through pain on an artwork show. Well, it's time to heal the world, you know, so I have to heal myself as well. And we'll we'll all work on healing each other in in these challenging times. But we have to put forth love and music and positivity. We'll get through it. So stay tuned
0: for next week. We have part two with Cipriano. Well, thanks so much, Cipriano. Keep on rocking in the free world and do,
1: do, 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 voluntary in nature, doot.